everybody. I am Angela Callender, the host of the Corona Connections Worldwide podcast, the podcast where I check in with my friends in various international locations to see how the global pandemic has affected them. We are traveling virtually to Spain today, where I have two friends. The first, Fernando, is basically a childhood friend. He was in middle school with my slightly younger brother when we were all studying at an international school in the Netherlands together. Um, the second is Borja. He is a friend of mine that I made here in New Orleans. We met on Tinder around the holidays last year and hung out a bit in the spring before the pandemic struck. And he actually relocated back to Valencia, where his family lives in June of this year. Uh, Fernando is joining us from Alicante, but uh, is primarily based in Madrid. I realized I didn't do a great job of establishing who I am or why I might have these international friends in the first episode of the podcast, which probably doesn't matter in real time since if you're checking in at this point, it's probably because you know me and already know this history. But on the off chance we get some strangers through here at some point, uh, the basic background is that I grew up in a military family uh, from 1999 to 2002. My family lived in the Netherlands, where, as I mentioned, I attended an international school and I still have some friends from that period of my life. Uh, we relocated to Virginia in 2002, and that's where my family still lives, and that's where I claim to be from. But in January 2018, I moved to New Orleans, and if you're joining us from YouTube, you can see that I am quote-unquote broadcasting from Bayou St. John. If you're not joining from YouTube, this is a reminder that I'm very nerdily using some of the photos that I took around New Orleans in the early part of the pandemic as my Zoom backgrounds. So there's a funny little sign to the side of me that says hibernators in area, which some local hooligans uh, created from the signs that are normally there that say alligators in area, which I always thought was sort of a empty threat but indeed when my parents were visiting a few weeks ago we were kayaking on a nearby area of the bayou but sure enough we did see a gator in the bayou so those signs are correct anyway uh back to my personal history um in addition to the little stint in the Netherlands, I also spent some time teaching English after college, first in China, then in Thailand. So I have some friends from those years as well that hopefully will take us to that area of the world at a later point in the podcast. But I guess that's getting a little ahead of ourselves for the time being. Vamos a España. Psych. So <laughs> I had this episode all edited and ready to go and... I got an update from one of the guests, Borja. Um, we had originally recorded our interview on October 6th, and both guys do admit that they are in the second wave, that case counts have increased in recent days. Um, Madrid had recently been put back on lockdown at the time of our conversation. Um, but as of this week, and it is now October 23rd, um, Spain became the first country in Europe to reach a million COVID-19 cases 
followed shortly thereafter by France. And now it sounds like countrywide they are talking about stricter rules that are not quite in place but are expected to be implemented soon. Um, curfews going from 11 p.m. until 6 in the morning, it sounds like. Um, other lockdown measures. Borja mentioned that they're even talking about um, holiday restrictions already at this point, like uh, for Christmas gatherings, limiting those to six people is something that he mentioned. So it just felt like a bit of a wake-up call, honestly. Um, here in the States, we are getting reports of state-by-state, state, um, different areas reporting new record high case counts and everything. So um, I guess as always, just <laughs> not, not getting used to anything as we're experiencing it now, this isn't over. <laughs> and we're getting reminders of that every day, it seems. So let me uh, introduce you both quickly. Um, first, we have Fernando, who is an old family friend. We've probably known each other for, I was just thinking about it, probably close to 20 years, um, because he was in middle school with my brother when we were studying in the Netherlands. Uh, Fernando's father was in the Spanish military, and my father was in the United States military. And we all went to international school in the Netherlands together. And um, in the summer of 2007, my family visited Spain and stayed, um, well, I don't think we stayed with your family in Valencia, but um, you were a wonderful host to us. And then you visited uh, my family in the United States, I think, the next summer, which was a pretty fun and funny experience in itself. And Borja is a friend of mine um, from here in New Orleans. We met on Tinder. <laughs> uh, and he has recently moved back to Spain, um, so he got to spend part of his experience here in the United States and part of it in Spain, so I thought that would be an interesting perspective because he can compare the two. Fernando is in Alicante now, which I am doing a better job than I did on the last episode of my podcast where my friend was in El Salvador and I didn't know exactly which body of water it bordered. So <laughs> I actually looked up Alicante on a map this time and I see that you are both on the Mediterranean coast, I'm guessing only a couple hours from one another. So um, I guess I can start uh, with Fernando because um, you were actually in Spain at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, well, actually, Fernando, why don't you tell us like what your kind of day-to-day life in Alicante looked like before the pandemic, assuming that's where you were? So when I first heard about the virus, I was actually in Japan. Oh. Well, because okay. um, because of I work for an, a consulting firm. And I've usually traveled around six months a year around the world. And yeah, it was, it was quite curious in January that people were getting a bit scared and wearing masks. But I honestly took it a bit of as a joke, like another um, bird flu and things like that. I was pretty sure it wouldn't get anywhere. Then I, I remember going to the US, to Allentown. And people joking around it like, oh, are you sure you're not bringing the virus? I was like, no, 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 no. I, I didn't have any Sorry, that was the Allentown in Pennsylvania? Yeah, that's it. When were you there? So it was there around uh, early February. Okay. Just, af just after Japan. And okay. then I did another route around, um, it was Riyadh and Moscow. And then I flew back to Madrid. And the day after, they shut down Moscow. I would have had to do quarantine if I had stayed a day longer. Wow. So it was a lot of, so, so then... I eventually got the virus, but I cannot say when. 
I got it or where. But and you, you know that because you've tested positive for antibodies. Yeah, I got tested. Okay. I had the the long term antibodies, the IgGs. Okay. So, but also around the 10th of March, I had already been in Madrid for like two weeks. So, pretty, so I think I got it there. And then I just woke up feeling feverish. Not too bad. It's like a common flu. And I just actually went to work because we didn't know much about the virus back then. Yeah. And, but I, I had all the symptoms. And then the day after, they told us to not go to this again. And I had those feverish symptoms for like 11 days. It was maybe one degree of fever, uh, a bit of just general not well-being, and and I lost my sense of smell for like a month. For a whole month? Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that that seems like that's probably when you had it then. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. And what most was likely, the? Go ahead. No, sorry. Yeah, most likely I got it actually in Madrid around the eighth of March. That was actually like a lot of people got it around those dates because there was still those days that nothing was closed out. So there was a lot of social interactions. And I have a lot of friends who had been there with me that day and everyone had it. Okay. So that's probably where it came from. And when did Spain actually start shutting down? I think that was around the 20th of March. Okay, was it that late? Because we started shutting down the 16th of March. Was That was a Monday and that was when everything. And I, I was under the impression Spain was kind of ahead of us. Well, I think that... Um, I mean, I was in Madrid, which was probably like the worst point of <laughs> Spain. Um, also because it's the most the, 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 the most dense area. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a lot of controversy because the, the 8th of March, was there was like a big uh, feminist uh, manifestation. And then, you know, the, it was a, the, the more liberals, they wanted to shut it down because of the virus. The government wanted to have it. So there was a bit of a political discussion whether to shut it down or wait a few more days. But all in all, it was around the 20th when things got shut down for like a month or two months, actually, we were at home, two months. Okay, and can you describe that experience a little bit? Because I don't, like we've had various degrees of lockdown here, but I don't think we've had really anything quite as strict as I understand things were to be in, in Spain and Italy. So my experience was actually very positive okay. because um, so I was locked down at my home in Madrid for two full months. So the whole of April, May, and actually most, well, June, I had partial restrictions. But I remember two months where you could barely go, only go to the gro get groceries. But I, I think it really depends on the kind of place you lived in. I had recently moved to a new apartment which was a lot bigger, had a terrace. So I had a lot more space and I was fine. But I had other friends that did not have a garden or anything like that. And if you're locked down in a small apartment with not much light, then the situation can be quite tricky. You're there for quite long. Yeah, and sorry, you were in Alicante or you were in Madrid at that point? No, I was in Madrid, I was in Madrid. Okay. And, uh... I'm just here, I'm working remotely now because they locked us down again. Oh. So that's, <laughs> that's why I... I left before they locked us down on Friday. Gotcha. And and Borja, did you did your family in Valencia have similar experiences to that? Was it about a two month lockdown there as well? From what you understand? Yeah, yeah. My parents couldn't go out unless you know going to the pharmacy or to to the grocery store. And I mean, it, it was hard for them, especially if you have uh, my grandma who's eighty eight and she she lived by herself. So they were like 
I don't want to go. I have to go check with her, but also I'm afraid to go and see her because you know she's at that age. Yeah. And also it was hard for like my brother who just has a, a baby, a one-year-old baby, and he couldn't go out of the house. And I mean, a baby needs to go to the park, needs to play, needs to. And it was hard for them to 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 have it in a in a small apartment, like two months. Yeah. Um, did your family ever consider having your grandmother quarantine like with one of your parents or something? Or did they not even really have time to make those decisions? Um, no, because as she, I mean, she's old and when, you know, people get told they get stubborn, so they don't want to move <laughs> from their house. And it was like, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. And they will call her all the time and they live like, uh, I don't know, they live really close to each other, like two minutes away of drive. So it's, it's not that big of a deal but I mean it's, it's a scary it's a scary situation to like don't go out and they were bringing food to her because they really didn't want her to go out at all yeah do you know if there were um programs around the city that helped that like I, I was volunteering with a program here that delivered food to elderly people who weren't able to go out do you know of any programs like that that were around uh I got I got no idea I mean in I live in a near Valencia in a small town and uh, people like, help each other and you know your neighborhood so they kind yeah. of think people uh, you, you see a lot of movement in Spain about people helping each other or people in balconies doing things to, to get entertained stuff like that yeah but Fernando, of course, did, I, Fernando did you see any of the like balcony singing or any of that was that part of your experience yeah absolutely um I mean, I live in Madrid in front of like the opposition's party. So in that region, most people were actually co more complaining against the government. So there was around nine o'clock. No, eight o'clock, people were clapping for the, the doctors. And then they started the, just knocking and jamming on different kind of pots at home to complain against the government. So we had that every day for like a month. And how could it, how did you so so if you're if they were clapping you knew that was for the healthcare workers but if they were banging on pots you assumed it was in protest. Yeah, but it was a different time. It was always like one hour later, so okay. you would clearly differentiate it. <laughs> That's kind of funny. And in general, um, did were people upset about the lockdown, or did they think it was a ne necessary precaution? And I, I realize you can't speak for everybody, but what was the general impression that you got from people about that? I think, yeah, I think it really varies. Like some people completely supported and others thought it was kind of like a waste of time and kind of leading us to a huge economic crisis beyond the sanitary crisis. Mm -hmm. So I, I really don't think there's a consensus here. Yeah, and and that's definitely the case here too. And as far as um, did it feel really present and in your face? Like I I know that there were pictures from the hospitals that were overburdened with people. Like, um, did you or people you know know a lot of people who were catching it and getting really sick, or did it feel kind of distant from you in that way? I have a bit of both stories. So my kind of cousin sister, she was very close to me. She's a doctor. So I usually hang out with her and all her friends who are all doctors around the, the hospitals. So they were kind of in the WhatsApp groups talking about it and like what they've seen and so on. I mean, they're generally complaining, but I would say that it's normal for people to complain about the job that they're very busy 
but I didn't see them putting like that many extra hours. It's okay. more that it was like very busy on a daily basis and probably higher than other years with a peak of flu. So yeah, I would say the, the hospitals for what I saw nearby, they were pretty packed and close to, to being full. Then on the news, they were saying that the elderly in the residences, they were just not taking them to the hospitals, not to over collapse them. So, and that explained a lot of the, the high death rate for the, for the elderly people. And then nobody close to me really suffered any bad symptoms. And I realized that a lot of people around me had a pure contact with the flu or, or were positive. And then, um, like I remember for the first weeks that the numbers of people dying were, were just not transparent. And for me, the, the biggest alarm was when like the major of one of the little towns in Spain, Soria, which is like where a lot of retired people live, actually said that this year they had three times the amount of dead people than last year in March. So that was like, wow, so something is really happening. Yeah. So I think that the official numbers of people dying, they're being published in the like national statistics. And I, I, what I've seen in some YouTube videos is that overall, not that much many more people have died more than last year. However, there might be some uh, serious side effects for the coming years. So people having resulting injuries that will damage their health over time. So it's still very hard to assess the real damage, in my view. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess to go back to lockdown, because we were never confined to our homes in the same way that it sounds like you were, and it's not, you know, in a place like New York or something. Um, so, so you truly never left the house except for groceries for the most part, is that correct? And, and what kind of enforcement was there for that behavior? I mean, there was a lot of police on the street. So you would almost always get asked, especially if you were not wearing like, a, if, you, if you have a bag from some grocery stop, then that'll be fine. So you should always come up with excuse. <laughs> that that was, and I think most, a lot of people did that. They just get like a, a grocery bag and then walk, walked around for like an hour. <laughs> so, like I, I was gonna say, like another trick. I know some people that still had like uh, reunions and like small house parties, mm -hmm. and then they, they would usually go buy something, like buy ice or whatever, and then take it to the other person's home, and then nobody could really track if you're going to your home or somewhere else. So those sure. were the kind of tricks. <laughs> and Borja, when you moved back, when exactly was that? And what was the state of the quarantine there? It was the, the 24th of, uh, of June. And I think it was like a, just like a week where they pretty much, uh, you, could do, you could go to bars, you could go, you could go to other states, you could travel. I mean, there were some restrictions about people, spaces, and keeping the distance, wearing the mask, and, and so. But I think it was, it was right when the, the curve flattened and was decreasing and before the second wave. So, I mean, I, I took the plane and uh, when I came to, to Madrid, to the airport, uh, they gave me a paper like, oh, did you have any symptoms? Uh, did you been in contact with somebody with the, with the COVID and stuff like that? But I didn't, nobody checked me the temperature or, or say anything to me. And I mean, I felt like, like people felt 
it was it was pretty much done in in summer because of the you know of the hot temperature it was going to it was going to to kill the virus or something and not at all <laughs> um was there anything that made you choose that time frame either your own judgment or any rules that were in place that you decided to go in late june or like would you have gone earlier if you could have yeah i, I mean i was thinking about going actually after that i making a big trip through alaska in the states a little bit before coming back but since traveling was kind of restricted and some like many national parks and stuff was were closed in the in the US. And I'm like, it's, it's time to to go back. And also it was really hard to go back before. I also tried to to when I decided that it was not worth to travel to the States in this situation, I'm like, okay, yeah, then I, I should go back. But flies, I mean flight tickets were were being cancelled and you had to to call in the customer service, and it was it was really uh was really hard and to to try to get back. I think I got like three four flights canceled before I, I finally. I mean, it felt like like I I got to the peak of the Everest mountain. It's like finally I got back <laughs> home. It was it was being really hard. So yeah, I, I mean, it definitely changed my plans and. At some point, you don't know if, if, if it's better to stay in the States and, or like go back. But I mean, I have my man, I have made made up my mind. So I'm like, okay, this is the time. And did you notice anything? What, what big differences did you notice really between what your experience had been like here versus there? I mean, it, 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 we are in the second wave and it depends also in every, um, we don't call it the States, we call it communities. Uh, for example, in Madrid now, uh, if in the city in Madrid, you can only be in your neighborhood, and if you go out of your neighborhood, it's because of work. And I mean, they still deciding if they are gonna ticket people or or how they're gonna, but they are warning people that you don't go out of your of your neighborhood, and people is fleeing from from Madrid before they they are restricted, and they have to be at home. And bars, I mean, it's depending on the state, on the community, it's up to maybe six people or 10 people, but no more than that. No parties, no weddings, no concerts, no, no soccer, no, no, no major sport events at all. And I mean, it, that wasn't happening in the, during the summer either, but it, I, don't, I feel it, people got more concerned about the second wave, about wearing the mask and putting some hand sanitizer and the schools really kind of um, got prepared before the, this, this school year started. Because you're, you're teaching now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's that like, is it in person? Or are you doing virtual or hybrid school or what, what's that like there? So, I mean, in our level in uh, elementary, pre-K and um, high school level, it's it's mostly it's in school like it's it's not hybrid or it's not online it's it's like people go to school but you have to keep the distance between people like six feet distance all the time wearing a mask from first grade up to 12th grade they have to wear a mask and there are some groups that are they are called like bubble groups that that group only they can share things and play between them 
And there is the non-bubble non groups, which is mostly the other groups, where they have to be six feet apart all the time and don't share any material and don't don't move. And you go to recess, like, you should, you should not, like, you know, play, you know, any game that can, like, don't tag other kids or don't play soccer and use the same ball and stuff like that. Right. What, what grade are you teaching? I'm teaching third and fourth. I'm in a very small school. I'm in a, in the, working in a rural school. So I got the, the three and fourth aggrupated. And I, I got to say, the kids are really, really, uh, I'm surprised with the kids. They, they wear the mask. They don't complain. They put the hand sanitizer. They mostly keep the distance. And I mean, they are really aware of, of the situation. That's, that's really impressive. Yeah, I've often said that like kids are way more adaptable than adults are and and I think that they can adapt to those kind of changes more easily and again the long-term effects of it. I always think of the smallest children who are just learning to like speak and and everything and how weird it must be that they don't see adults mouths moving all the time when they're out and about and I wonder how that affects like speech acquisition and that kind of thing, but um, as far as them being able to adapt to the new rules and everything, kids are a little bit better at that. Um, Fernando, since you were in Spain for both the first and, and second waves, did you, um, has there been much of a difference that you've noticed between the way that either the government or the population has been handling the situation in those cases? Yeah, I think, I mean, some of the difference is that in the first wave, we didn't have any masks, so we were not forced to wear them. Okay. That's, that's actually came to my attention. And I think people, people now are, I mean, they're less scared. That's my feeling because at the beginning, there was a lot of uncertainty about what was really going to happen. I think people are just like now following the restrictions, but like less scared. That's mm -hmm. kind of my, my view. However, it's true that even though, like, for example, Madrid is now in lockdown again, you can still move around your neighborhood and you can, and the, bar, the restaurants are still open and life feels a bit more normal. Like the gyms, I believe, they were open as well. They're open as well. That during the hard times of the restriction, you had just staying at home, which is super, mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. of a harder times. Yeah. And, so it doesn't feel so bad anymore. Also, I, I think that we're kind of more used to it. Yeah. So if it's, no, if it's like the new normal, so yeah. it doesn't shift anymore. <laughs> and um, so you're, you're saying that you can't, under the new restrictions, you can't go outside of Madrid? Uh, like you can only travel with, within? Or, or did I misunderstand that? No, that, that, that's correct. So, I mean, they have, been, they have been evolving the restrictions. First, it was a few neighborhoods of Madrid that you were not allowed to leave out of them only for work, but now they have a new uh, Spain-based rule that for every city, if you reach certain thresholds of amount of cases per inhabitant or the, of the hospitals reach 35% occupancy, then automatically that city gets shut down. So the city of Madrid itself got shut down, not okay. the whole community or anything. So basically, if, and nine more cities got shut down within the Madrid area. So you just have to stay within them. But I didn't get to experience that because I, I left on Friday before that took place. Okay. So that happened within the past week? 
Yeah, that was on Friday, Friday evening. So they okay. on on Wednesday the government said it, and they had 48 hours, and then Friday night at 10 o'clock it became real. And a lot of people have done that. They have just left their second homes and their little towns. Got so in, in, a, in a way, you, you can feel in a lot of places, like a smaller cities that they have much more life because people have like left the big city to there. Yeah. That, that's a small positive effect. <laughs> no, I think that's happening here a little bit. I got one thing, and I shouldn't say that I'm surprised because I think for one, it would be hard to enforce and for two, there, there hasn't been a lot of strict rules being placed on the national level, but I have thought it was interesting that it's been so easy to travel from place to place within the United States, um, with the exception of flights being canceled and that sort of thing. But if you're, if you're traveling by road, you can really do whatever you want. Um, and even, even with the flights, any quarantine is on, is just on the person themselves to. I mean, with the quarantine, I've seen cases that it really depends uh, who is the person in charge of you. Like if someone spots you that you've been in contact with a positive, then you might actually get the quarantine enforced to you. Otherwise, it's up to you to do it. Mm. And there depends who you hang out with. There's a lot of social pressure. So sometimes yeah. your friends, if they know that you should be in quarantine, they will, they will be on top of you for you to do it. So like if you publish something on Instagram or something like that, you won't get a lot of positive feedback. Um, and Borja, you said that you had um, a, a mini wedding of sorts the, over the past weekend. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, supposed to go to a wedding this uh, the last uh, Sunday, but it got canceled. And also my cousin was getting married in, uh, I think it was like in 10 days, and she canceled too. The thing is that in, in weddings now, it's like, 10 people uh, top on uh, on a table and people cannot move around. You have to be wearing the mask all the time. There is no open bar, which is, I mean, the reason most people go to weddings, I guess, in Spain at least, like, there's always an open bar. So it's, it's weird not to, to have an open bar. And people cannot dance also. So it's like, what's, I mean, what's the point to do to do a wedding if, if you cannot do, like, I mean. You can't just, drink, you can't dance. Can't dance I mean, <laughs> just go to the courthouse and sign the papers, you know, but no, it's like, if you want to do a wedding, you should wait. And people is, is canceling that. People is also, I got um, a case of, uh, so I'm working in a 600 people, popula or 600 population town, and they were uh, celebrating um, the communion. It's a, a small Catholic community and the kids who, you know, they came for the first time, the, the body of God, I don't know how you say it. The first communion. The first communion. Mm -hmm. And the priest got the virus. And <laughs> he did, a, he did a, a first communion for, for a kid and he did a big mass for the town. And he also did, a, they were burying somebody and he was given the blessing and stuff like that. So I got people in the school that I'm working that got checked for the for coronavirus. And it was a huge thing around the town and around the area of, and people, but not many people went to the first communities. It was like just the close family because you cannot do big, big events anymore. And, but I mean, for that reason, kids do it always when they are like nine years old or 10. So they didn't want to postpone that, but weddings are getting postponed and, and other things like that. 
And as far as you know, the First Communion didn't turn into like a quote unquote super spreader event or anything like that. Um, it was just something. Wait, so are you saying that they they knew he had tested positive and they still let him do the First Communion or the, they only found out afterwards? The funny thing is that he starts feeling bad like, like Saturday or something like that. I mean, this is all like gossip about the town, which it was, it was really interesting because it's, it's this, this kind of town that nothing happens ever, but when something <laughs> like that happens, it's like so much gossiping. And he was feeling bad Saturday and he did, he did the first communion Sunday anyway. And then he got tested on Monday. He got the, I, we call it the PCR, the kind of test they do. I don't know if it's the same. I, I the only but names... it's the one that they put you through the nose and okay that's the only one that I even really know of and so he got tested on Monday but on Tuesday he did a big mass and Wednesday I think he did he was burying somebody who 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 died from something else but uh, but I mean even though when you do you you take you take the test you have to be you have to be quarantined you have to be confined at home for fourteen days at least that was before now they are saying ten days. But he didn't do that. So, I mean, that was a huge kind of a scandal <laughs> in a, a small town scale, but it was huge. Yeah, no, I, I think that would, I mean, luck, I guess in a way, luckily it's just a, a small town. I can only imagine the same thing happening at like a huge community where there's 600 people in the church itself and, and then people might be a little more nervous. But luckily, I mean, churches have like high ceiling and it was, I think ventilation is really important. I think most people is getting, is getting, uh, the virus is getting spread when people is going to bars, like mm -hmm. they're inside the bar and you take the mask out to eat and you're really close to each other. And that's, that's, that's the worst case. I don't think like other cases are not that bad. And as long as you're wearing the mask and, you know, using hand sanitizer, I think, I mean, the virus is still there and, and you can catch it or, you know, spread it. But I think, bars with no good ventilation is, is like the, the hot spots. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And you had done some traveling, was it just around Spain or around other parts of Europe after you got back? Uh, I've been to Spain and I've been also a little bit to, well, I've been to Andorra and I was to, to France too, a little bit to the, yes, the south part of France. But you, you yeah. feel so strongly about France. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my friends wanted to go to France, and uh, I got to experience a little bit about friends. Uh, they don't, they don't have to wear mask, so for us it was like really shocking, and they are not as as concerned or as afraid of the virus as uh, we we Spaniards. Or I mean, I can say by my point of experience. Like we are, like I saw many touristic places in France, like Carcassonne, which is a really nice, uh, like castle city, like really middle age. And people with no, no mask, no distance. I mean, I got really overwhelmed of the situation. Like, I don't really, I like, I don't want to see this. I'm like, I'm gonna take a drink, wait, and uh -huh. then go because it was, it was too much people, yeah, too crowded. That that's something that's been a little bit funny for me. Like if you are used to masking up and you are used to stricter regulations, like I've been almost surprised at how quickly my own brain has changed. And when I even watch like 
TV and they're like close together in a bar and people are like talking like right on each other. Like it's, I don't know, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I'm like, oh, like, why are you all so close to each other? Why are you talking on each other? And um, in my Uber driving, I've noticed a little bit of the same, like, um, a lot of most locals seem to be very good with masks and that's what they're used to. And, and tourists for the most part, when they come, they understand that that's the rule. And, um, even if they don't agree with it, they're pretty good about complying, but you can tell some people come to new Orleans and are not really prepared for how closed things still are. And, and they're, they're like, what are you guys doing down here? And then I'll, I'll drive around new Orleanians, like this guy who was in Vegas recently. And he's like, you wouldn't believe it there. Like this guy was just next to me in the bar. And I was like, what? are you doing like um i think it's just really interesting how quickly people's standards and understanding of normalcy seem to change and and if you do get used to the masking up routine and and keeping distance it becomes very uncomfortable when you don't see people abiding by those rules yeah yeah for me it's uh when i see like you know a film or like a concert and you see all that people dancing and you know hugging and i'm like and I also kind of thinking like I see those those uh, images or you know, and I'm thinking when is this gonna happen again or is this ever gonna happen? Like, <laughs> is this new normal here to stay? For yeah. Good? Or I, I I mean it's like I mean I, I was in in Madagascar there and and you know I, I like crowds I like I like big concerts too and it's like but now I kind of. I don't know if I want to go there or if they are ever going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, I think life is very long. <laughs> and as long as, as this um, experience has felt already, you know, it hasn't even been a year. And I think as quickly as we have adjusted to this new normal, if there's a trustworthy vaccine that becomes widely available and, and people use, like, I think, I, I think we can snap back. I think that is probably something that will happen. Um, but I, I guess it's just made you think about sanitation and germs and stuff in general. And also like, for me, you know, swine flu was in 2009 and it was, so what about, what's the next one going to be like? Is it going to be really contagious and really killing people? Like it just, it seems like this isn't the last coronavirus we're going to be dealing with. And um, I don't know, maybe the more, proactive we can be about just keeping cleaner spaces, the, the better we'll be, I don't know. Um, Fernando, have you also done any traveling um, in other parts of Europe since all of this that you've noticed differences at all or have you been mostly within Spain? No, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been traveling a lot around Spain, like in the northern rural areas to see my family and kind of in the Balearic Islands. There was an, there was a place called uh, Formentera, which was a very very popular hotspot, and that that remained hundred percent full, and people tend to be more relaxed. However, so I you're see saying? Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand. You're saying it was a hot spot. It presumably got locked down at the beginning, but now it's back to being open, and and people are kind of being like every day or like. No, old, I mean it, it was it was one of the first places to come out of the out of the lockdown because it's like a small island. But then it was, it's like very, very touristy. It's like similar, I think it's the most touristy place in Spain. Like what's what's it called again? Uh, Formentera, it's next to Ibiza. Okay. So there, for example, 
it's mainly young people, and you could see that people were much more relaxed with the restrictions there. However, I did hear back from a lot of friends who were there that actually turned positive afterwards. So there was a small outbreak during the summer. Mm -hmm. Got it. But in other places of Spain, it was, it was kind of the same vibe everywhere. People were quite scared. I mean, I did get the feeling that uh, people from Madrid were more used to it because they had been longer with it, more exposed. Whereas in the other places, they were just getting to know it like one or two months afterwards and still scared or, or, or much more concerned about it. But it was the same thing, just with some months of delay. Sure. Have you noticed, like, the way that I feel like it played out in the United States is that the, the first couple cities, like New Orleans and, like, New York, got hit hard first, and those places were forced to take it very seriously. And then in other places, maybe they looked at what was happening in the, in the hot spots and knew to take it seriously. But, like, I've tried to be a little bit understanding of people in rural areas who just didn't have the same firsthand experience and so we're a little more likely to be um, incredulous of it. And of course that was helped along by our government that was treating it like a hoax for so long. Um, but it sounds like even in the rural areas, even if they're a little bit delayed, um, it's still taken a little more seriously there. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. I think within time everyone got to the same level. Right. It's just that I have the feeling that population density is a big goal. Yeah, like, I, I agree. Like, so in the rural areas, you have like your own home with garden, and you have plenty of space, and you need to you don't need to get close to anybody yeah. for days, right? Whereas yeah. in a small city, you can't really stop it. Mm -hmm. And what has your testing availability been like? Like Louisiana, for how much money we seem to not have for anything ever, we had one of the best testing programs in the whole country. Um, and still now tests are available for free, no insurance. You don't even have to be a resident of the state. Like I took my friend's mom who was here from Boston um, and they're just widely available and um people can can get them but that, that's not the antibody test like I know very few people who've actually taken the antibody test I would like to take one myself just to know because I feel like between my uber driving and going to protests and I felt a little bit sick um in early February more than I, I normally do and broke down and got medicine which is something that I don't normally do and um so it sounds like you have maybe more widely available antibody tests than we do but what is your like what is the ordinarily ordinary testing availability so i think that it has changed a lot since the first weeks and months so at the beginning if i think it was only like in the private sector that you could get them and i got okay. my first test on i only test in june and i just had to pay it privately and it was like 150 euros it was oh, the wow. the one with the where you test your your finger and then you get the antibody i mean just to put it in so perspective, it's like a blood test for well, the yeah, antibodies. It's a yeah, okay. it's a blood test on your finger, and uh, you get it within minutes. But we're used to having a like either public healthcare or everyone has insurance, either or. So we're not used to paying anything at the hospital. So it's actually quite a big shock when you have to pay 150 euros. Yeah. Maybe for the scale of the U.S., it doesn't feel like much, but here it, it hurts. Right, no, so. well, and I think I think it's it's funny. It's almost like we've we've switched, and 
like this is the most socialized our medicine has ever been almost <laughs> it's like like even under like the least socialist president who's like doing all sorts of fascist stuff all the time like suddenly we have this one like randomly like cool socialized part of our medicine that we have free testing available in some places but here i believe that now if uh, if if you're in t close by to um, someone who's positive then your your general a practitioner can recommend the test and that's covered by the insurance so it's also free okay. uh, if the doctor asks you for it if you want to do it by yourself then i think you have to pay kind of that in that range of price and then many companies are also doing it to their employees so it's pretty available i would say now if you want to get tested you shouldn't have an issue gotcha do you think do you feel the same way Borja, or is it more available for teachers or anything like that yeah well the thing is that uh yeah, they were doing tests for everybody who got like uh, got close to somebody with the virus. And I have a friend working in Madrid as a teacher, and she got she got tested because her school got uh, locked down. But they are in some areas are not testing as much, like because they are running out of tests too, especially like big big cities like Madrid. They did a lot of testing, and now they are like kind of thinking about if they are doing too much, too much testing. Like I also had a couple of kids last week who got fever and were coughing and, and like they got kind of the symptoms, but they went to the, they went to the hospital and they, they got checked and they say, oh, you, you are, you're having, you have a cold. So we're not making you the test. So I guess what they are trying to do is mm, if you have been in contact with somebody, they they will do they will do the test, and but they will ask you how contact you've been, like if you've been without the mask, if you've been really close for at least fifteen minutes, something like. That. But if you have symptoms like you know fever and they and but you haven't been in contact with somebody, they are kind of thinking of taking the test with kids at least, because they know kids. I mean, it's it's about to start flu season again, and they are mm -hmm. like. We cannot take we cannot take some so much testing with with the COVID. We're gonna run out. So they are they are thinking and and you know checking if if it's something else before they do the test. Right. Got it. Um, and I okay. I think y'all have given me so much good information. And then the last thing that I am curious about. Um, is just what the perception of the situation in the United States has been in other places. Like, is it is it looked at as like this this thing that we've just totally dropped the ball and bad leadership? Is it not even really on people's radar? I never tried to assume that people are just thinking about and talking about America all the time. But I, I have been curious as to what people in other places think about what's been happening here. Um, well, I go first. Um, for people who, who didn't believe, because there is a, I don't know, a small group, I guess, I, I don't know if, of people who think this is, this is all a lie or this is not as bad as a situation, kind of Donald Trump was a, kind of a hero. Like, you see, Americans, they can do any, everything. They are not in such a lockdown as us. I don't know how they feel now that he got the virus. But what we feel about about America, it's uh, well, we are now talking about the president who got the virus and now he's being cured, but he's or, or in a car without the mask and it's like, 
I don't think I think most people feel like like he's he's not doing what he's he's supposed to be if you are if you have the virus. Sure. Like that's not a way of acting it with that either. And <laughs> I don't think we got much information about people's being, about like New York City or other places being locked down now. I think we did at the beginning, but now we are really talking every day about COVID, but mostly Spain and mm -hmm. specifically Madrid because it's been hitting, it's been hit the hardest now with the virus. Got it. And how about you, Fernando? Do you feel like your experience has been basically the same? Yeah, I mean, I think as mentioned, like I've always, I live in Madrid, so it's always a bit more restricted there, and it's more people, and it's been a bit harder. So than other parts of Spain, but it's true that we don't get that much transparency in the news of what's going on in the U.S. and other parts of the world. Like the the media is pretty much local, locally focused. Yeah. So and, uh, and that's not really, especially in a situation like this. I I think that's fine. Like you probably are more concerned on what's happening in your own community and everything. But I sometimes I've just felt like, oh, we must be this laughing stock of the world. And so I've, I've just kind of wondered if that's been the case. In fact, it's really interesting to hear what Borja said about people kind of cheering pre President Trump for, you know, not having such strict regulations, which I suppose also I can see how people would have that reaction as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it really depends who you ask. Like, just like in the U.S., I think yeah. here as well, many people are pro-Trump, and many of them would complain of Trump. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a consensus either. Yeah. And, and and as mentioned, like, here with the restrictions, some people really support it, and others are super fed up with it and think there's no point to do yeah. further things. So hmm. <laughs> it's, it's quite a tricky. I mean, yeah. you, you can't even see it within the, like, the local governments and the central government. It's just that here, I think... We have the opposite side. So, so the, the central government is pro lockdowns, and then, for example, the Madrid government didn't want to go into the lockdown. So they're like fighting all the time, like, "Don't lock me in." Yes, you should. <laughs> but, well, I guess that's one. I mean, I've only, this is only the second quote-unquote episode I've done, but um, I guess that's one similarity I'm finding across the board is that there there is no consensus. Nobody is really sure how to respond to what their government is asking there's detrust there's distrust from all sides and <laughs> nobody really knows the right way to proceed so i guess we're all kind of yeah. in this together as they say yeah that's... it's it's funny because because they were saying that you know well we will come better after this we will be more united and now the health is important and everything and you see that you know both or all political parties are still doing politics. Like, okay, no, I want to the, a full lockdown. No, that's bad for the economy. No, that, you know, help. But, oh no, those measures really don't do nothing. So, I mean, at this point you should be like, what's what's really important? How is we can reach an agreement? And they don't really care about agreements. They're still doing politics as as, as before. So it's kind of, kind of, I think most people Either if you are on one side or the other side, people is disappointed about how how governments and how politicians are acting. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I honestly think that it's it's pretty hard because it's like a very tough trade-off. It's like, do you want the risk of saving a few more lives versus destroying the economy? Nobody wants to be in that position because whatever you do, you lose, right? Yeah. Like if you if you save people but you destroy the economy, they will blame you for it. And if you actually 
maintaining everything open and the COVID and suffer. And some more people die, some people would really blame you as well. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm I'm very happy that I haven't had had to be a decision maker in any of in any of the situation. Uh, the thing I keep talking about. So I've been pretty supportive of of what cautious measures I should say, but. Um, now the my thing is that I just feel like they should find a way to let music back more than it has been because the musicians are really suffering here and that's such a big part of our economy and our culture and everything. And I feel like there are safe ways that you could be having musicians give performances and that's still pretty restricted here. So that's one thing that I wish was a little bit different in this exact moment. I mean, one anecdote that I got from my grandfather is that he had never seen this before in his like 95 years of life. So that not even during the civil war, things were stopping so much. Like even there, unless you were like right in the frontier of the fights, life kind of went on. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, or, or people, yeah, early, early in, in the pandemic, people were saying it wasn't this bad during Katrina, which like, I don't know if like you're familiar, Fernando, with the scope of what Hurricane Katrina meant in New Orleans, but like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to New Orleans. So for people to say yeah. that this this lockdown is the is worse than Katrina because bars did stay open, a couple of them did, and and musicians left, but they came back quickly, and that helped, you know, revive spirits and and draw other people back here, and to be for everything to be closed and not know when it will open and not really have hope of it opening anytime soon, like has really, really affected morale and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And actually for me, one of the most important things is what will be the long-term effects for society? Because I mean, there will be fundamental changes in the way we live. Even if this only goes longer for like six more months or a year, but like I was seeing the news, like 30% of the small businesses like shops in Spain are closing. They're just bankrupt. So uh -huh. th that will be a big shift. Then like a lot of people are going to work remotely, but if they can work remotely, like for me, I work from Alicante in Madrid, they can also do it from some other country. So there will be a lot of job losses and fundamental change in consumption patterns. So I, I mean, I think it's hard to predict how will that affect like house prices, living conditions, the whole economy as a whole. Like who knows what's coming? That's, for me, that's the most scary part, actually, right now more than the virus itself. Yeah. Yeah, and and to know that we're really still just in the middle of it, like, this isn't, the end isn't coming soon. Like, we're not going to know the answer to these questions soon. So, yeah, it's, uh, well, thanks, guys. I feel a lot better now. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I really appreciate all the, the points you brought up. Does anyone have any um, final things or questions for each other or for me or anything? No, as, as a funny, as a, an anecdote that is happening in school is uh, when, after teaching for a four or five days, I took the mask because I was going to eat, I was going to eat uh, an apple. And kids were like, wow, I didn't imagine your face like that. And, and it's funny how kids now, like how people, when you see, you, we are meeting people now with the mask, that we haven't met before. And after seeing without the mask, we, we find the, 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 like the mouth and the shape like being totally different <laughs> of what we expected. And, and the kids were really like, I didn't expect you to, to have like a, the face like that. And I'm like, oh, what can I say? But <laughs> you're, like, you're like, is it better than you expected or is it worse? <laughs> I don't wanna know. I, I, 
<laughs> a little bit like that. But I mean, it's, this is funny. There is funny situation, and the new normal has has some things that I mean, mostly not not much silver linings though. But I mean, this situation has is 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 bringing some creativity and some some fun stuff. So. It's bringing some what? Some creativity, like you see the masks, oh, yeah. and you see how people is is trying to meet each other and stuff like that, and how we got much connected, and and also like yeah, I think it has brought some fun situations too. But I mean, I won't I won't back. I want to go back to the to the old normal. <laughs> yeah, I got to start a podcast, so it's been great for me. <laughs> um, Cool. Yeah, I had intended to, at the beginning of the conversations, share some like anecdotes from our pasts and stuff. And there is a story that I have with Fernando that has remained just like one of my favorite college experiences, which was when he was visiting my family. I, again, I think it was the summer of 2008. It must have been because I wasn't even 21 yet. And he came to visit my brother and me, who were both in Charlottesville in school. And we were going to the bars and my brother wasn't even coming because he didn't have an ID and I had my fake ID and Fernando was like, well, I want to kind of come. So I was living with a guy at the time who was 25 and his name was Scott Olschlager. And Fernando must have been like 18 or 19, didn't look anything like this guy. Olschlager is a hard name for me to pronounce and English is my first language. <laughs> and despite Fernando's very good English, like it's a little bit of a hard name to, to wrap your tongue around, but we were gonna try it anyway. And we'd go to this bar and the bouncer like clearly knows that it is not him and tells him no, but then discovers that he's Spanish and they start like just like going off because the um, the bouncer is from, I think, Dominican Republic. And so they start talking to each other in Spanish and like become best friends. And before we know it, like Fernando's allowed in the bar after all. <laughs> and that was a very funny experience for me. And uh, Fernando, I don't think I would have ever like had an opportunity to tell you this, but years later, when I was living in DC, I was at a party with some friends who had gone to college with me and friends of friends and I meet this guy who had been a bouncer at that bar and he seemed kind of familiar and all of a sudden I was like wait a second were you there and I described the incident and it happened to be the same bouncer and he totally remembered it he was like that guy was awesome <laughs> so <that's... laughs> I, I completely forgetting about that but, that's, but thanks for sharing it it was a good time did we try to go over the um the back fence that yeah, that, that sounds familiar. I think we jumped over it some other day. Yeah, I, I think that might have been it. I think we might have been stopped going over the fence, and then we tried to go around the front, and the bounce, and like I guess the guy knew me and my friend and like trusted our IDs, and he's like, but wait, you were just the guy that they were trying to get over the fence. You can't go in. Let no. But then, yeah, so that was a fun memory. Um, you know, and I remember and it was it was the days when the euro was was worth like $1.5 or something. Yes. So I always, and I was an 18 year old, so I didn't have much savings. So I was always in the debates so should I spend what I had on booze or go shopping in the outlets? And oh, I remember you all of you always voted for booze. It's like, no, no, just get more shots, forget about <laughs> oh, But I'm pretty sure you did both because my mom still loves to talk about how she took you to the outlets and you bought so much stuff and like only later did she learn that your mom had like strictly instructed you to not go spend all your money on shopping or something. <laughs> um, but like you said, your your money was so valuable. I don't blame you for that whatsoever. 
<laughs> yeah, so we don't have a great shopping here as we do in the U.S. So it's for us, it's always a great opportunity when we go. Yeah, um, and not to not to leave you out, Borja. I have a, one of my favorite moments with you was um, when we were outside Bartonique, one of our first nights hanging out, and I had we had Ollie with me. And I told I had told you that he bites like one in ten people, <laughs> which is not true. Like it's way fewer than one in ten. But that's what I had told you. And every person who came up and like patted him and interacted with him well, you're just you're keeping count. <laughs> like when you got to nine, you're like, all right, well you better not let him uh, like meet anybody else because he's definitely gonna bite them. And that was always a, a funny bar memory that I had with you. <laughs> yeah, I remember that day we were like. Oh, can I put it in you? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And you told me that before, and I'm like, ooh, we're going to have some trouble. And when <laughs> it, came to, it came up to nine, I'm like, okay, finally we're going to get, you know, it's, it's like when you're watching like NASCAR, you're, wait, you're waiting for the accident to happen. So I was like waiting for, for somebody to get, you know, to get beaten, and nobody did. So it was, I, I was kind of happy that Oli know, knows how to behave, but I was also kind of disappointed because I didn't see, you know, Nobody got, got him, you know, beaten. No. Mix it, that mix it, that mix was it, also it. a really good American reference to the NASCAR washing. You got you got really like Americanized while you were here. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of losing my Americanization, but you know, <laughs> I still keep some, you know, some chunks of it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for this. Um, I do not know when I will have it edited and posted. I wanna have I was thinking having five recorded before I start actually trying to publish them anywhere, but I might start with three. So I'll definitely keep you updated. And yeah, if that's all from y'all, I will sign off. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank Muchas you, Andrea. Yeah. yeah, all right. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for episode two of Corona Connections Worldwide. I forgot to say it at the beginning because I'm still new to this, but please do find us on social media at Corona Connects Pod on most platforms and at Rona Connects Pod on Twitter. Uh, and also please rate and review on iTunes if you're so inclined. And especially if you want to give a five-star rating. I'm not trying to rush you to the rating process if you're thinking of giving something less than five stars. You know. Anyway, enjoy your day or your night, depending where you are in the world. Bye!